It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Good evening, friends. Welcome to another edition of Cadillac On Call presented by Cadillac Foundation. And each week at this time, we are here to talk about health and medical information that's important to all of us. And again, as we have for the past 14 months and counting, we're going to spend the first half of our program talking about the latest relative to COVID-19. And we always wonder with Heather Hill from the Benton Franklin Health District, as we're talking about topics for each program on what we're going to address, we sometimes wonder, well, is there anything new happening? But invariably, by the time this program goes on the air and we go live, uh, there is something new. But first of all, I know, uh, I understand if if it doesn't happen, depending upon when people listen to this program, if it's live as of tonight, um, but in the next day or two, I understand there's some news coming relative to the mass vaccination site out at the Kennewick Fairgrounds. Sure, Jim. We've known going into this mass vaccination clinic setting that at some point in time it would be demobilized and we wouldn't need it anymore. And it it appears that that time is getting much closer and we are expecting the the governor to make an announcement um, in the very, very near future, maybe tonight or tomorrow, exactly what will be happening with that mass vaccination clinic. Again, it's a collaborative effort between Department of Health, Benton Franklin Health District, and our local incident management team. And so when we went into the project, we knew at some point it would be demobilized and we would have to transition to other options for vaccines. So that's um, really the mode we're in right now. We know it's going to be demobilized in the very, very near future. And so our focus now is certainly on um, actively planning for that demobilization when it happens. And then more important is uh, planning for what are we going to do to replace it? We know we still need to do a lot of vaccinations in our community. So our focus is being moving toward more mobile clinics, more drive-through clinics, more pop-up clinics, and then even more important is getting this vaccine into your primary care provider office, your pediatrician's office, pharmacies, clinics, all those places where you go to get your health care. That's where we really need to start seeing more vaccine uptake. And the good news is um, every day we're getting calls from local providers who are willing to have that vaccine now in in their medical home office. So we know that demobilization will happen at the fairgrounds in the near future, but we also see a lot of promise in getting vaccine to our citizens through a lot of the other ways that they receive their medical care. Um, So, uh, you know, I would encourage people to continue to take advantage of the fairgrounds. probably one of the absolute most convenient ways to get you and, and your, your children 12 and older vaccinated is, is that drive-through. Uh, we will continue to work with Columbia Center West. They're vaccinating along with their testing site, and vaccinations are happening on Sundays out there, and we'll certainly be working with them to, uh, in, in the near future, we anticipate increasing vaccine access at, at that clinic on Argent in Pasco. 
Now, you, one more question relative to the to the mass site when it does close. It's not like when the announcement comes, it's tomorrow would be the last day. My guess, if I'm reading tea leaves, we're coming up on the end of May next week and a holiday weekend right after that. So there will be some time for people to continue to take advantage of that uh, as the most convenient location to get vaccinated. You're right, Jim. And our, our plan is as soon as we receive the information from the government, from the governor, um, that will, announcement will be made. But the important thing is, is the clinic is still there. It's still going to be there for a little bit of time and take advantage of it. It is a phenomenal setup. It is so convenient. And get your vaccines done. And we haven't asked this question in a few weeks uh, relative to the type of vaccine available out at the fairgrounds. Would people have options out there? Because I know now that Johnson & Johnson is the one dose versus the others, which are two doses. Right. At the fairgrounds, um, they've added on the Johnson & Johnson, you know, the one-time shot. They have very specific hours when they're doing that one. And you can uh, look on our PrepMod site and tell exactly when to show up for Johnson & Johnson and the other vaccine is the Pfizer, which is now uh, able to be given to people 12 and older. And the exciting thing out there is, especially over the last few days, uh, they've definitely seen an increase in that adolescent population coming in to get vaccinated. And it's not uncommon for the parent to bring the child in and then the entire family is there getting vaccinated at the same time. One question, and I keep saying this is my last question on the mass vaccination site, but another one I just asked, and then we'll move on. But that's if, for example, uh, the mass vaccination site will stay open, say, until the end of next week, which is the end of May, uh, if someone gets a first dose, where would they get the second dose? Would they have to just uh, figure out, go onto the website and figure out a place, uh, the health district's website, to find where they can get that second dose? I know our website, we are working very hard to keep it up to date as to where people can get the specific vaccine that that they need. And many providers have a variety of vaccines. So it's really checking in with our website, uh, listening to the information coming out from our local pharmacies. Many of our large pharmaceutical chains have a variety of vaccines. And so it really is not going to be difficult in our community now to find that exact brand of vaccine you want. So you could then get that if you got a first dose, say, tomorrow or Friday or early next week, and then the the mass site is not open, You there there's obviously you can get the second dose. You'd, it'd be easy to figure out where to get the second dose. You just have to figure out, go through to the health district website and figure out other Right, locations. go to our website, check in with the pharmacy that you normally get your prescriptions from and some of the other clinics. And, and we will continue to try, try to do as good a job as possible to put that information on our website and make it as easy for people as we possibly can. As we make our way through the month of May in both Benton and Franklin counties, are we seeing slow but steady uptick in the percentage of people getting vaccinated. I, I think you were telling me that, and you touched on that the, the younger populations uh, are, are, that's that's good news that more and more of them are getting vaccinated. It's really good news. And it's a little too soon to look percent wise, what percent of our 12 to 15 year olds are vaccinated yet, but we should start seeing that data roll in, in, in not too many more days, but in Benton County, um, 38%, almost 39% of Benton County residents are fully vaccinated. 
And in Franklin County, it's uh, 31, almost 32% of Franklin County residents are fully vaccinated. And then we look at initiation, and that's really what we want to see, is how many people have actually gotten at least one shot. And that data looks pretty good with 46% in Benton and uh, 38% in Franklin. So our, our numbers are looking much better. And I know just one last statistical measure with relative to the openings of the economy that the good news is that everyone sits in phase three with a goal of of fully opening on the end of June. But is there a percent that needs to be hit? I think I'm hearing 70 percent that needs to be hit for that to happen. We'd like to get to that 70 percent. We've seen how it works in the 60 and above group. We know that about 70 percent of our 60 and older are vaccinated, and we are just not seeing disease in that population. So we know that this is a good vaccine, it's a safe vaccine, and it really is working. And if we can get to that 70% rate, um, we'll be able to open up a lot better come July 1st. We're visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And again, go to the Health District's website at bfhd.wa.gov for the latest information on all of the activities surrounding uh, vaccinations, testing, you name it. Uh, there are always a lot of opportunity, as Heather mentioned, uh, to get vaccinated, tested, etc. But uh, So go to the website of the Health District to find out more about that. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about where we stand with masks. Where do we wear them and where don't we? Back with that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. We're talking with Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District about uh, all things COVID-19. And before uh, we go back to Heather, I want to mention the website to get more locations on where vaccines are available. It's vaccinelocator at doh.wa.gov, and you can go find out all of the different locations. And as Heather mentioned, there's a wide array of opportunities called pop-up clinics and various clinics around town, physician offices, uh, pharmacies and the like, even uh, Costco, places like that where people can get their vaccine. So uh, go to vaccinelocator at doh.wa.gov. Heather, I know it was a day after, I think last Thursday, so a day after our program normally airs live, And nationally, it came out that this whole mask relaxation uh, directive was allowed. And so where are we tonight? I know uh, everyone kind of won through everybody for a loop in a good way. I guess uh, the the advice was if you are fully vaccinated, it's okay to not wear a mask indoors or outdoors. Is that still the case? If you can just quickly delineate what the advice that we're all supposed to be following. Sure, I'd be glad to, Jim. And you're right, that did come a little bit as a surprise last week from the Center for Disease Control. But we had been looking at, you know, the data with vaccines and how protective the vaccines are. And would that affect our need to wear masks to the extent that we had? And where we're at today is the CDC says that fully vaccinated people, and that means you are two weeks past either a one-dose Johnson & Johnson or the two-dose Moderna or Pfizer, that means you're fully protected, then you can remove your mask and not distance in most settings 
except where is required by law, such as schools, correctional facilities, uh, mass transportation like planes and buses and trains, and homeless shelters, and then those health care facilities. So that's where you still need to wear your mask, even if you are fully vaccinated. Now, the non-vaccinated, the rules really haven't changed. You have to wear them inside when it's not at your own home, you're in groups, and when you're outdoors when distancing cannot be maintained. Um, you know, certainly businesses do have the individual right to determine their masking guidance for their employees and patrons. So we still need to be very respectful of those businesses and what they are choosing to do to protect, you know, their employees and, and their people come into the business. And one, one additional, I guess, point of detail on the exceptions for the fully vaccinated, you mentioned healthcare facilities, and I happen to work for a healthcare system. So that, that not only means a hospital, but it also means physician offices and clinics and the like, right? Right, your, your clinic, your walk-in clinic, any medical-type facility, vaccinated or not, you need to be wearing a mask. And I know we have been dealing with this, and, and it's probably part of the reason it, this, it has uh, been so, in a way, you know, obviously perplexing for the public, but in your world of public health, of changing guidelines and whatnot, obviously we're dealing with this novel coronavirus, as it's called. But why, why this change now that we're able to, to get to, to have, which is good news, have relaxation in some of these uh, public health measures that we've been so used to doing? I think it's important to realize that, like you said, this is, this is a novel virus. And when it arrived and we started studying it, our medical scientists really needed to take the time to learn how it was going to respond in the human body how it moved about in the community, and then certainly how our mitigation efforts would help decrease the spread. And with the arrival of the vaccine, that was really the deal breaker where we were getting so much good information that these vaccines are, you know, well into the 90% protective at stopping people from catching COVID, from spreading COVID. And because of vaccines, and decreasing case rates, we are able to relax those mask um, recommendations throughout the United States. So, you know, I hate to say it, but they're probably still evolving with information. The more we learn about it, the more we learn about vaccines and protection. I suspect there will be continued changes in the near future um, with these guidelines as well. So nothing seems to be known for sure other than the fact that more information will bring about more changes. So the simple phrase of stay tuned, right? <laughs> stay tuned, that's for sure. <laughs> I was going to say one other point on that, because you talked about these changing guidelines. I know one of the concerns, even when the vaccines were starting to be available, was the worry that you could still have this asymptomatic spread of the virus, but is there more data now showing that if you're vaccinated, you're more likely to not be in that danger area of, of, of asymptomatically spreading? You're exactly right. That was a, a point that we were very concerned about. And through, again, the scientific study and research, it's become apparent that, you know, certainly a vaccinated person can catch COVID. We've seen breakthrough cases 
But what we've been able to determine is the likelihood of spreading that to another person or becoming quite ill with it is is just very unlikely in that vaccinated person. But we've known that with, with other vaccines. We just needed to have the evidence that the same thing held true with the COVID vaccine. Um, the vaccine hasn't been around that long as far as mass used in used in the U.S. It's certainly been studied for many, many years and decades. But now that we're, you know, five, five months into it being rolled out across America, we finally have some, some of that real life boots on the ground results that we're seeing. And it's it's just amazing that this vaccine is doing such a good job at stopping the spread. And as we uh near the end of our time, I would like to have you talk about where we stand. You you mentioned some statistics in our region that we're starting to see those vaccination numbers or continuing to see the vaccinations numbers slowly go up. But for the people that are still uh, not quite sure and on the fence, if you will, or just a little hesitant, what's your advice at this point uh, relative to the vaccines on whether they should get them? You know, of course, I'm going to encourage vaccines because, you know, that's been the focus of the vast majority of our my career. And I've seen what a, a tremendous role it plays in preventing illness a, across the generations. And so I would really encourage people to talk to their medical provider, talk to those trusted people in your circle who actually have the knowledge and the background to understand immunology and how vaccines work and what they actually do in the body. And have a good conversation with that person to get your your answers. There's lots of good websites and good information out there, but sometimes having that conversation with that trusted medical provider is what you really need to to do and to hear what they have to say. So as we uh, near the end of May, uh, we continue to see knock on wood, promise on the direction where we're heading in in virtually every part of of the COVID-19 battle. Um, What would be a a takeaway remark from your view, Heather, just as we're sitting here tonight? And and I know with the the news that, hey, I don't have to wear the mask, people hear that, and that's maybe all they hear. But 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 where are we as we uh, head the head to the end of May? And, you know, again, we're we're a year and three months into this thing. You know, things are looking certainly promising, but we also need to remember that COVID isn't done with us yet. It's still circulating out there. Uh, We have the summer ahead of us. We have Memorial Day weekend coming up, lots of activities, lots of gatherings. And and truly, our our message is still, uh, we're probably needing to consider how we're going to conduct our lives and what we're going to do to reduce the risk of catching this and spreading it, not just for right now, but continue through the summer and, and again, on into the fall and winter of, of this upcoming cold and flu season. So what we're doing now will certainly reduce the transmission, reduce the rate in our community, but we need to make a commitment as an individual, as a family, and as a community member that this just is going to be our new norm of how we're going to conduct our lives for a while longer. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate your all the all the you and your team are doing. BFHD.wa.gov is the health district's website. Where to get vaccine, vaccine locator at DOH. 
www.wa.gov. And I'm going to put one more point on. I don't have enough time to ask Heather about this, but another point I know she wanted to talk about is there's no longer a 14-day interval between COVID and non-COVID vaccines for adults and kids, which means if you're a parent that needs to get your child vaccinated before school starts uh, next fall or in, in August, get those sooner than later because it'll probably be very busy as the time gets closer to school and people to meet get get their kids all of their immunizations. Thanks to Heather. I'm back with the second half of Catholic on Call right after this. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program, Catholic Hall on Call, presented by Catholic Foundation. And we're going to shift our focus a little bit on the program tonight. We like to bring in from time to time uh, medical providers and healthcare specialists in a variety of different uh, specialties. And tonight we're very happy to welcome to our program a new urologist to the Tri-Cities and Catholics program, uh, Dr. Julio Slongo, who has been here, I understand, since last summer. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the Tri-Cities. All right. Yeah. So born and raised there, went to medical school in Brazil. Uh, ended up doing two years of general surgery there in Sao Paulo, which is a really big city down there. During my training, I decided that I needed to have, uh, at least I was looking for more advanced training, uh, especially in regards to robotic surgery, which was something that was not available there. So I applied for doing residency in the U.S. Uh, ended up moving to Tampa, Florida, where I spent the last six years of my life uh, doing my urology residency. Uh, after that period of time, start applying for jobs, looking for places to stay. Uh, decided that Florida wasn't the best place <laughs> to be. Uh, it's great to be on vacation there, but not necessarily to work. It's way too humid. Um, and uh, coming here was an awesome pleasure for me and my wife. Uh, when we interview here, we just love the town, uh, love the weather. Uh, we drove around on the wineries and was like, okay, I think we're going to do this. And uh, I'm very happy with that decision. So Cadillac was able to support me with a really, really awesome group of urologists. We are a group of three. Uh, and um, this uh, absolutely helped me on that decision to come here. And I was going to say, you must not be afraid to travel, because if you've gone from the other end of the earth to Florida, and then you've gone from one end of the U.S. to virtually the entire opposite end of the Northwest. It is. That is true. They joke around with me in Florida, my friends there, that the only other place I could go was either Alaska or Hawaii <laughs> to be there as, as far away from Florida as possible. <laughs> well, what, if you would, share a little bit about what, what led you to want to become a physician. Did you always want to be a doctor? Uh, yes and no. Uh, my father in Brazil, uh, he is a urologist. Um, that absolutely made some influence on it, at least for me to pick up uh, becoming a physician. Uh, you know, seeing the practice and what he did every day was something that was always, you know, passion for me. Um, during the medical school years, I thought I was going to become either a vascular surgeon or a general surgeon, trauma surgeon. Uh, and then over the re uh, general, res general uh, surgery residency, 
I end up changing my mind, uh, picking up something that was a little bit more, I would say, sophisticated that have uh, a broader uh, aspect and opportunities to do, which is urology. We see a, a very vast group of patients uh, ranging from kids to very old folks on a very broad spectrum of diseases, including benign disease, uh, urinary tract infections, kidney stones, to something very complex like prostate cancer, bladder cancer. And um, that's pretty much why I fell in love with uh, urology. So now you said you went to medical school in Brazil and you did two years of surgical training there before you moved to the States? That is correct. And then you spent six years of training in Florida. Correct. It's a long journey. I was going to say, what is that like to be you know, to be in that world as a physician? Obviously, going to medical school, and then there's you know people hear these words residency and fellowship and all of these different types of training that you get. But there's a reason for that, right? It is. Uh, you know, when you you're going to become a surgeon, uh, you know, in urologists we do surgeries on a you know daily basis. Um, Repetition is the most important thing. So residency is a training in where you have an extreme exposure to cases, to different patients, and you are thought on how to operate being guided by somebody that has experience. So it's like a learning in training process. And um, for surgical specialties, especially, this takes more time because, you know, it takes more time for you to have that exposure to uh, the amount of surgeries that you need to in order to safely offer that in the future for the patients. And so you did that. It was all your urology related that six years of training, or did you mention you talked about the types of technology that you can use? Part of that is using that te- technology as well. Yes. Yeah, so especially in urology, uh, you know, we use a lot when we talk about technology, um, for example, lasers to treat kidney stones. Uh, we use the, uh, you know, the surgical robot uh, to do cases like prostate cancer surgery, uh, kidney cancer surgery. Um, and this is something that also in urology is very uh, nice because usually this newest technology is one of the first specialties to get involved with that is urology. And that goes into a lot of why I chose to go through that field. And the advantage of that, I want to have you touch in a moment on the robotics, on how that works, but the advantage of these is it's, it's less invasive, so that's obviously quicker recovery and less stress on the patient? Absolutely. So the, the major, and I'll give as an example, uh, surgery for prostate cancer, which is like a radical prostatectomy, uh, taking the prostate out. Uh, back in the day, you know, those would you'd be like a, a large incision from the umbilicus all the way down to the pelvis. Most patients would stay somewhere around three, four days in the hospital. There was almost a need for blood transfusions. With the advance of the robot, we do five small incisions on in the abdomen. Um, most patients will stay overnight at the hospital. Sometimes they don't even need to stay overnight. They can go home the same day. And blood transfusions are extremely rare. So not only that, but also improves outcomes in the long term. So, you know, prostate cancer surgery is always related to side effects of that. Most often, urinary incontinence keep leaking urine after the, you know, prostate is removed or erectile dysfunction. 
And the robot uh, has shown that those complications from the procedure are way less just because we can do a more precise surgery when we're using that instrument. Uh, so this is, I think, one of the major advances. And nowadays in neurology, we use the robot for almost everything on major cases. So it's fairly common. Dr. Julio Slongo, a urologist with Cadillac here in the Tri-Cities, he's coming up on a one-year anniversary of moving to our community to being part of a team that provides this important specialty services here in the Tri-Cities. We have a few more minutes with Dr. Slongo. We'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Enjoying a dis, uh, discussion with Dr. Julio Slongo, a new urologist here in the Tri-Cities, practicing at Cadillac Clinic Urology over in Richland. And if you're looking for a phone number to call that office, it's 509-942-3070. Or you can visit org and learn a little bit more about the background of Dr. Slongo or any of the physicians that work within the Cadillac system. And Dr. Slongo, we, we spent some time in our previous segment talking about what led you to want to become a physician? And, and it was interesting to me to hear you describe how the world of urology and in your work, just how technology has changed so much for the better, to all for the benefit of the patients. I think you had touched on that your father was a urologist. I bet you have some interesting conversations uh, comparing notes with him on how care has changed over the years. That is, that is very true. So uh, he, he trained in the, you know, 80s, uh, and the surgeries that he was trained to do are surgeries that nowadays we don't do it anymore. Uh, so urology has changed like significantly and for the best. Um, you know, outcomes uh, nowadays are getting better and better. For most part of kidney stone surgeries, for example, we can do all of the vast majority at least without any incisions, which means like no cuts, everything is uh, um through the urethra, through the bladder, and outcomes for patients are absolutely uh, improving with time. And uh, you touched on on some of the the, the more serious parts of urology, i.e., prostate cancer, bladder cancer. So all the more reason in your world to have this have this ability to to be so specialized. I would think that is correct. Um, so especially the urology cancer, which is part of the area of urology that I'm more most passionate about it, uh, we deal with testicular cancer, bladder cancer, prostate cancer, kidney cancer, and uh, each one of them has you know specific things that I think in all of them there's some form of minimally invasive procedures that can be offered for treatment of patients. Uh, so, um, which again, ten years ago, I would not say ten years ago, but maybe twenty, thirty years ago. We're, we're not that well-established, and we're not present for, for most of patients. Now, you touched on, I think, a little bit. Do you, do you work with patients of all ages, uh, children as well? Uh, I, uh, I, we have the training on it. Uh, most urologists, they will not see children at least less than 16 years old. For that group, 
there is a urology, uh, a pediatric urologist, which is even more that went through uro- <laughs> Correct. You, right. went, you went through a fellow a fellowship for it uh, of at least one or two years to treat that population. And the reason is there's a lot of you know uh, birth defects that urologists involved in, and I, I really think that those people should uh, you know absolutely have a subspecialty to take care of them. If I happen to be listening to this program or a podcast uh, subsequent to the program, if you would, uh, you know, I know every physician has kind of their own treatment philosophy or their own practice philosophy as a physician. What is yours? I think most of it is I try to educate patients as much as I can on their conditions, especially when they're talking about cancer. Uh, But not only that, even when I'm talking about erectile dysfunction, uh, think understanding the what is going on and why you have that condition and what we can do to reach your goals. Not necessarily every patient has the same goal when we're talking about treatments. And assuring that me as a physician and the patient, we are on the same page of what we're trying to achieve is the most important step. So trying to expose the uh, vast options that are available for treatment and trying to you know, uh, uh, match that option with the patient, uh, 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 what he's looking for, that is the, the what I always look for. And thankfully, I think I, I haven't been able to achieve that. Uh, so when we talk about what is my philosophy, I think is like clearly exposure, clearly education of patients, giving options and setting up the same goal, me and the patient, to get where we want to be. And you like to, I guess, consider it like a partnership that they're part of the patient. After all, that's who's receiving the care, right? So it's a partnership? It is, absolutely. Uh, There's a lot of things in urology that are quality of life driven. Uh, When we're talking about prostate enlargement, you know, folks that have trouble to, you know, pee too frequently, going too much to the bathroom, waking up overnight. This is most of the parts is a quality of life condition. And it depends on how much the patient wants to invest on that and how much I can offer and how we can met halfway. Uh, so this partnership and discussion, very honest, me and the patient, where we want to go, what is our goal, is I think the most important part of it when we're talking about treatment. And maybe in the last 30 seconds, if you would, I know getting to you, is, it, is that the type of specialty where obviously the the special types of treatments that you do and the, and the, and the, the illnesses and, and things that you treat, does it need, you would go through like your primary care provider to be referred to someone like you? It is. So urology is a subspecialty and uh, patients do go through primary care doctors to get, you know, get a refer to us. So any other, you know, every form of urinary conditions, uh, trouble going to the bathroom, Blood in the urine is a major one. You know, May is a bladder cancer awareness month, so blood in the urine is a sign of bladder cancer. Things to look for to talk to your primary care doctor, erectile dysfunction, history of kidney stones, family history of some kind of urological cancer. That will trigger a discussion with the primary care doctor who will put a referral to see one of us uh, in uh, Catholic urology, which, again, our group is always happy to see uh, the community here in the Tri-Cities. 
Well, Dr. Slongo, thank you so much for taking the time. You've proved that you have the ability to roll with the punches on the radio. Wonderful. Thanks for your <laughs> flexibility. Welcome to the Tri-Cities. And again, Dr. Julio Slongo, Catholic Clinic Urology, 942-3070. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week.